Welcome to Big 20, where GMs from all walks of life and experience talk about gaming. Hosts this week are Dan from Fear the Boot, hey. Cheyenne from Chicks with Crits, Hello. and Callie from Riff and Rabble. Hello. Let's talk about breaking the ice. <laughs> An important one. Yeah, this is really meta, Eric. You throw at us breaking the ice <laughs> as our topic for... A group of three people that have never met each other before. Never met each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, Callie, Cheyenne, what do you want to go first? No. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not very good at breaking ice. That's a big problem for me uh, socially. <laughs> um, and I haven't actually come across it too often in d and I've really only been in two groups. Um, I have had a very short career <laughs> in D&D so far. Um, I've only been playing for about four years. So my very first group I met online through uh, looking for group um, on Reddit. And <laughs> so all of our initial interactions were just through text, which was pretty easy for me because there's no faces. So, <laughs> um, And then we played on Roll20 where there was also no faces. Um, so for the first time you were on voice together, was that awkward? Um, yes and no. It was awkward for me because it can be difficult to jump into an established group because um, mm-hmm. it wasn't a brand new group. I was joining um, a, a group, like a campaign that was already well into its uh, its path. So um, the people that were there had already been playing together for like a year or more at that point. Um, but it it didn't take too long to get comfortable. I think if I think for me, I just sort of focused on the gameplay because, again, that was my first time playing D&D as well. So I spent most of the time just like looking at my character sheet, reading the book, flipping through things. What does that mean? Um, So I was a little more focused on the uh, uh, technical side of the game than the social side of it. Um, And then that just kind of developed as I got to know everybody. Right. Um, So... Yeah. I think it's a good approach, though, because uh, so what you're describing, you call it fixating. Um, <laughs> but in uh, dealing with social anxiety, there's a concept called grounding. I don't know if you're familiar with that or, not. or not. But what grounding is, is you try to blunt the moment or blunt what you're going with internally. It's like whatever your mind is spun up about by finding something else that you can focus your attention on. So it distracts you from that internal cycle of whatever's worrying you. So you find a, uh, like a worry stone you can carry which is a, like a flattened, you know, semi-precious stone with a groove in it that you can run your thumb through, uh, or find a little toy you can play with or force yourself to count all the green objects in a room or something like that. But it's something that that draws you right back to a fixed point in reality that has nothing to do with what you're worrying about. And I, you know, I, I think there's some good advice in that of uh, by finding something else in the environment or in the game to fixate on, you can get your mind off of any social anxieties and also potentially turn over something else to lead in with, be like, oh, hey, I just noticed my character, blah, blah, blah. And that's, I mean, what as banal as it may be, it's something to talk about. Yeah, that's a very good point. I ended up with a lot of questions at the time. What does this mean? How does this work? <laughs> so that helped too, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, that's as good advice breaker as any is, what's going on here? Yeah, that's true. 
Cheyenne, what about you? Well, the first time I played with a group of strangers, I had already been playing with mostly my friends for a while. Mm -hmm. I actually ended up going to a local comic book shop. They had posted a thing on Facebook. Yeah, we have a a few rooms open in the back. If anyone wants to get together and play D&D, like come visit us this Sunday. And yeah, there was a group of like maybe 10 people and we were all like excited to actually get together and like meet other people to play the game. Right. So it was really good. Like being in with a bunch of people who actually wanted to play the game and who didn't all know each other. Mm. Yeah. I was there with one friend that both of us went and we ended up being a part of the group that actually ended up being there. It's just uh, four of us and eventually five of us, uh, few more sessions in and yeah just after a little while of getting together that first day to just discuss if we even want to play together it really helped us all eventually come together so this was a group of people where the vast majority didn't know each other and or were new gamers yeah it was just it was a whole new comic book like shop so it was like the first time all of us were going to the area too so do you think that helped reminding yourself at some level that uh everybody there was kind of on even footing. Yes, it did. Although we did have like some like real experienced people coming in too, right? And they wanted new players and people who hadn't played before to like, like to bring them in. (laughs) Yeah. It's the old picture. Everybody you're talking to naked thing. Except I'm not sure (laughs) I want to do that in most gaming shops. I'm just being honest. Um, So when Eric pitched us this topic, I was kind of rolling it around in my head and I was saying right before the show started that I thought it was kind of meta that he took three people that don't know each other. I was like, yeah, I want you to talk about breaking the ice. Like, (laughs) oh, really? Um, So I owe you for this in the AP or something. (laughs) Figure it out in real time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I was thinking about it and I was like, well, there's the be nice and helpful advice answer. And then there's the honest answer. And I'm going to give the honest answer first. And I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just, I'm just being honest. <laughs> Casual substance abuse, <laughs> especially if you're at a con, uh, you get a few in you, and then go sit down at the table. You just don't care as much. Yep. That's true. I want uh, you. I'm not not suggesting this. Well, even if it's not abuse, <laughs> even if it's you know just a drink to take the edge off, you know it. I know that that helps me. I'm definitely a lot more uh, socially open (laughs) when I've had a drink or two. I'm much more willing to talk to complete strangers. Um, I actually, when I uh, started DMing, um, I would usually have a drink (laughs) when I started because uh, I would get the shakes so bad that I couldn't type anything because we we play online. (laughs) It was like... And I need to calm down a little. I'm feeling a little high strung. <laughs> I need to <laughs> take that edge off a bit. <laughs> and that was so the people me, I knew. <laughs> so the uh, healthier advice I'm going to give is to either let the game speaker speak through the game. Uh, one of the things that I have found helps me as someone who, despite, I, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm not even a socially confident person. I've just gotten very good at playing one on podcasts. Um And I have found one of the things that I have to fall back on to do well in a gaming environment is I remind myself at the subconscious level that the game creates a safety net or creates a layer separation. It's like the old trick that psychologists use where they have you make a puppet or a stuffed animal talk because you might feel safe having the little Muppets say horrible things about your parents, whereas you don't want to say them. And uh, a role-playing game is kind of the same way. And I, uh, 
of course, some people abuse this and act out some really antisocial behaviors, but I think even in a healthy fashion, you know, I don't have to bond with the person to my right or left directly. Uh, what I can do instead is I can throw myself so into a character or if I'm GMing an NPC and that becomes my voice. And that is, you know, I just go all into that. And if it ends up looking stupid, you know, at least I can kind of brush it off and say, well, that's the character. And maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't. I'm a total liar. But I mean, either way, it, it gives me a healthier way than being half drunk to start expressing myself without being too self-conscious or too concerned about the people around me. But I think the game itself also helps because when you're talking to any group of strangers, where do you always start? What you have, you know, it's what you have in common. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, you're sitting at a bus station and tired of waiting for the bus. You start off by bitching about the weather or bitching about the bus being late. Well, you're in Canada. You probably apologize to each other for somehow making the bus. Late. <laughs> <laughs> but in America, we would complain about what's actually at fault there, which is the bus and people in <laughs> Illinois. Um <laughs> But, you know, you, you're at a game, right? I mean, find something in there of like, oh, hey, I saw, you know, in your bag over there, you just picked up a copy of Shadowrun. You had a chance to try it yet. Or, you know, oh, hey, I'm playing a bard. What are you playing? Or, you know, yeah. find something in the game and use that as your, you know, or see what's on their T-shirt. Oh, hey, I see you're wearing a T-shirt of, I don't know, some stupid anime or whatever. And, you know, find something because, I mean, they're geeks. You know, you got you got to have something in common. You wouldn't be sitting yeah. at the table if you had nothing in common. Well, that's just it. You're coming to the table to play a game. I'm assuming you both enjoy it or you're thinking you enjoy it. You're trying it for the first time, maybe. So you at least have that to talk about. Exactly. Um, you know, what's your favorite class? What's your favorite race? Like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, how long have you been playing this? Oh, first game, really? Well, you know, what got you in here? Well, so-and-so's making me be here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know, hey, this is my first time here too. You know, maybe I can, maybe we can see if we can either both enjoy this or both hate it together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look for that common ground. I would say um, the only thing with getting the social confidence out through like NPCs or through your player character Um is with very like brand new players, maybe they don't have a lot of experience with role play and they're not comfortable with that. And so that is ends up just being another barrier to the social interaction. But I mean, even that comes with time. Like I know one of the players in my group, she had never played D&D before and she had played like video games that were sort of role play based, but had never, you know, voiced a character or, you know, been that character's um, core, really. And so it took a bit of time for her to figure out, like, her style of roleplay in D&D um, and, you know, how to express her character and that kind of thing. And so that sort of developed naturally as well probably helped that she was with people that she already knew and had relationship with that you know she had that comfort level to kind of explore the role play style that she wanted so how many con games have you guys played in a lot of con games been to a lot of conventions i actually haven't played in a con game yet i wanted to try to convince the other girls at our last convention that like we went to it's like why don't we jump in for a little bit but it's like we only have there's only three hours left. Is that enough time <laughs> like to get into it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've never played in a con game either. Um, I've been to a lot of conventions. Um, however, 
the primary focus up until very recently when I started playing D&D was <laughs> cosplay. And so I was um, going to very different panels. And then um, I think one of the first D&D panels I went to was run by Ed Greenwood. The Forgotten Realms is basically what introduced me to D&D through like the novels and the worlds, the written worlds anyways. And um, so that was a fun experience. And I would like to try playing at a con. I just you hear a lot of stories. <laughs> and especially <laughs> as a, a woman in gaming, it's yeah. um, intimidating. Uh, you know, it's hard to want to put yourself into that situation when most of the stories you hear not so pleasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're right. It can definitely be intimidating to try and go up to, like, yeah, to some people that you don't know and just like, yeah, I, I completely understand that. Yeah, I, I feel like go I would ahead. want to start with a smaller convention. Um, mm-hmm. The one that I was frequenting the most was the largest one in Canada, which is by no means large by American standards, um, but <laughs> in Toronto, uh, Fan Expo, and um, I feel like maybe a smaller convention would probably make me feel a little more comfortable where you know people know each other and I don't know it's just got a different vibe you know different atmosphere yeah for sure it definitely over in Saskatoon like the one well technically the second big expo that we have yeah it's definitely it's getting bigger and bigger so all the time so I think it's maybe next time I'll definitely try to jump in a little bit sooner until it gets too big like over in Toronto yeah (laughs) Actually, Fan Expo in Toronto is uh, it's bigger than Gen Con is. No, it's not. No, it is. No, no I'm I'm serious. I'm looking at their uh, historic attendance, and in, in like in 2016, they had 131,647 people. Uh, that's Gen Con runs about 50 or 60,000. They had 100,000. That's what the building uh, doesn't have that capacity. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I've never been there. I just was curious, so well, I googled it. I've been to, to Gen Con once. Yeah. And Toronto is not anywhere near what Gen Con oh. is. Maybe over the course of the four days that it runs. That's got... true. That could be turnstile attendance and yeah. not actual ticket because that is a different counter of attendance. Yeah. Because um, like Canada just does not have buildings that has the kind of capacity that American events do. <laughs> like the, it just, they don't exist. Um, they're currently in the largest convention center in the city and they're all re- like, they're at the limit basically. And there's nowhere else for them to go. <laughs> so Should I found is a good way to kind of get past those icebreakers or get past those blockers is it's real easy to judge. So mm-hmm. instead of figuring out what your problem is, figure out what everyone else's problem is. And here's how I recommend doing this. This is like my healthy dysfunction. If you ever go to a small convention, mm-hmm. set up an event in the first available gaming slot. That's an intro to role-playing games and put in the description that this is a game that is designed for people who have never role-played before and want to get a basic understanding of what the hobby is like before they go into a you know, two, three, four day conventions straight of gaming vendors. Uh, this was something that I tried at a local convention and I ran a little one page RPG uh, called Tooth and Claw by a little company called Vulpanoid Studios. And uh, you can find this if you just uh, either Google Tooth and Claw RPG or Ferret Pocket Mod. And 
it's a little one play page role playing game where you don't even play people. You play a bunch of ferrets that are somebody's pet and are up to little ferret things. You know, it's <laughs> and like the plot that I ran was that the ferrets. Uh, there was a, I think it was a family dog that was sick and needed its meds, but the owners weren't home and the cat might be helpful, but was kind of standoffish. And there was a rabbit outside in a hutch, but if they wanted to get help from it, they'd have to first figure out how to get out there and set it free. And they had to figure out basically in the time before this dog has a real crisis of health, how do you get the medicine out of the medicine cabinet? And to the dog using only your ferret stuff. You know, you're not like magic ferrets. Mm. You're just ferrets. And even people who don't know what a bard is or don't know what a cleric is or don't even understand the basic structure of generic Tolkien-esque fantasy, they know what pets are. Right. And so I took this group of four or five people who had, you know, I think... I don't think any of them played role-playing games before. If they had, it wasn't many. And in trying to figure out what what is it that these individuals are struggling with, you know, because I I can't say, well, roll 2D6. What, what does that mean? You know, so I have to stop and explain that. Or I notice that if they're uncertain how to handle a situation, that uh, I have to up my game with my NPCs or get a little more vocal or start suggesting actions or or things like that. Um, but in watching what these individuals struggled with as I was trying to teach them how to role play, I learned a lot about what it is someone who's never role played doesn't know. Because um, I've been role playing for a, a pretty long time. And I don't remember all that well what it was I didn't know back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I found that the icebreaker of using something as disarming as a ferret uh, not only got people past that hurdle of, well, I don't understand role-playing games, but you understand pets, right? You know what a dog is. You know what a cat is. You know what a rabbit is. You know, you've probably seen Disney movies. Where, whatever you go with, you know, I'm just going to play along with here because I'm just trying to get you into it. But, you know, watching how these people handled that, I thought taught me a great deal about um Oh, that, that's what I was going to say is if nothing else, the role playing game itself then became part of the icebreaker because you get to talk then about, you know, you're, you're playing a ferret. Have you ever owned a ferret? Have you ever been around a ferret? Oh, well, what pets have you had? Yeah. Well, now I'm learning something about the people at the table. And if there's one thing that, you know, the vast majority of people can get excited about, they love their pets. <laughs> and so most people, at least enough do. Enough do you get a conversation started. Yeah. Right. If they, can, if they don't know how to talk about Augma, they at least know how to talk about Fido and Mittens and Mr. Bouncy Pants. And people often are more willing to talk about animals and their pets than like themselves or each other. So that's, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, actually, in the very first game that I ever DM'd, my one friend, like the first time she ever done it, first time meeting a lot of the other people who were playing She's like, can I actually make my dog a character and bring him with me to, like, to help me get through this, right? And so, yeah, so it was her and her dog like going through together through this like mansion and trying their best to like stay with the group or get separated and just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just keeping them together. And it, and it definitely made her like more happy and stuff. She's playing with her sister too. So it's like you got the two of them and their dog trying to solve what's happening, right? And, yeah, and it was a great way to, yeah, trying to let, I think, players, like, take things maybe with them or, like, you know, pairing up with a friend 
or immediately starting like the game with like having the characters immediately start talking to each other. I do that in some of the one shots. One character will just be like, okay, so I'm sorry that I stole something for you. Or it's like, wow, we did really good in this last thing that we did, right? Just try immediate, try to get them connected. Just like throw it out there. It's like the, you guys might not know each other, but you know what your characters do. So there you go. You got to work through that. <laughs> the more comfortable people are, the more willing they're going to be to open up and to to break that ice, to, you know, increase that social interaction. And yeah, interesting. Ryland TV on chat said that last year's pretty scary and that uh, meeting outside of the game for a meal and things like that uh, is a good way to break the ice. What do you guys think about that? I mean, I have never played in person, so that's kind of a problem for me. Um, all of my D&D has been online, but that, yeah, I mean, interacting over food, like, you know, once you've got a full stomach, maybe a drink or two, you get a little more comfortable. I could see that definitely being beneficial. Yeah, definitely. Before, like, uh, me and the girls, before we get together, yeah, we're already there for like a couple hours or so before just hanging out and talking and my the group that I had over at the comic book store after a few games it's like yeah we ended up going over to another player's home and hanging out there and yeah just getting like t- to know each other and sit around it's it definitely helps oh I think if, if nothing else yeah. it starts to give you uh I mean, one, it pushes you past that social awkwardness before you actually get to the gaming table so by the time you get to the gaming table, you've known the person at least a little bit. So even if you, I guess in a way, you're kind of kicking the can down the road because now you're just shifting that time of social awkwardness from the game to another setting. But that in and of itself could be helpful because maybe it's better to get it out of the way at Applebee's than it is to get it out of the way at the gaming table. But I I think another thing that offers is, you know, when you're in a a public place like that, um, we were talking about looking at other things in the environment to talk about things that you have in common, things that you observe. Uh, A public setting offers a whole lot more to comment on. So you can talk about the food, you can get a couple drinks in you, you can, you know, make fun of the people at the table sitting next to you. You could even go after the decor. Don't do that in somebody's house. That's kind of a dick move. (laughs) But if you want to go after TGI Friday's decor, that's open game. And so... I, you know, I think there is a value to it because, you know, once again, both it gets it away from the table, but then also because of the fact that it offers you uh, more things to draw on. Though, uh, jumping back to an earlier point, uh, there was uh, something one of you two said, and I, I forgot which one, but it, it, I wrote down a point, is I think there is also a bit of negative advice to give here, which is part of breaking the ice and making people comfortable is not making them uncomfortable. And, you know, definitely, I mean, I understand any social situation is taking a risk. If you take no risk, you're not going to get any benefit. You're never going to, you know, break the ice in the first place. But don't say or do anything that you know is going to be offensive, you know is going to be difficult, you know is going to be off-putting. Make sure you've showered. Make sure there's a, a reasonable distance physically between you and the person next to you. Uh, one of the other things I'd give, and I had to do this in the ferret game, and I'd recommend this with any group of new players, don't shoot down everything they throw at you. Because if they're if they're taking social gambles on trying things or doing things, and you just crap on everything they toss at you, I mean, you may shut them down for the rest of the game. I mean, they may not make take that risk again. And, and so even the if their idea the is horrible, game. find something you can do with it. Yeah, that 
that could be scarring enough to keep them from ever trying another RPG game. I've heard lots of people online whose first interaction with tabletop RPGs was so bad that they just never played them again, even though they wanted to, you know, they just never felt comfortable enough. It's, it's not something to be taken lightly when you're introducing someone to the game. Like, you know, it, on the one hand, it's just a game, but on the other hand, this could be a lifelong hobby. This could be where people meet lifelong friends. It's happened to many people. It's very important. It's, it is a social contract. You know, there's social etiquette that needs to be observed. It's not really any different from how you would behave in a store or on the street or at the bus stop or anything like that, that you still have to observe the etiquette that is expected. Playing off of that, one of the the things that I've also found helps keep people going. It seems like when we talk about the ways that a GM can respond to uh, a player's action, that oftentimes people only talk about the two extremes, that they say, we're either going to play a yes and a style of game where somebody says, well, my character does this. You don't tell them no. You say, well, yes, and, and then you you affirm the idea and build off of it. But to be blunt, what if their idea really is profoundly stupid or doesn't work in the game or somehow is game breaking or is impolite or, or any number of things. There's a whole host of things that could be wrong with it. So in the opposite extreme, you have no, you can't do that. You're not allowed to say that that's a dumb idea. You're being rude, whatever. And there may be some cases where that's appropriate, but in a lot of cases, what you're going to do is you're going to take someone that just gambled a little bit of social capital, lost the gamble, now you've shut them down, which is why I've always been a proponent of the middle step that almost never gets discussed, which is yes, but responses. So if somebody says, well, my ferret's going to push the couch aside, okay, your ferret is not strong enough to push a couch, but they gave an idea and this is their first game ever. And if I shut them down now, I don't know where that leads. And so I can say, yeah, that's a great idea. There could be something hidden under the couch. And in fact, if there wasn't before, I as the GM just put something there to reward them for that thinking. But you can't do it by yourself. Being a little ferret, you've got a great idea. You think you may have even caught the scent of something, you know, but you're going to have to either get the other ferrets to help you or trick one of the humans into stumbling into the couch and, you know, displacing it or, or you know, saying, not saying no. But at the same time, you don't have to totally affirm what they just gave you. But I, I do think it's important not to close the door in their face, even if the idea was otherwise bad. I would agree. And sometimes that might be difficult to do, especially depending on people's experience levels and ability to come up with ideas on the spot. But yes, definitely rewarding the creative inspiration if maybe like give a little tidbit to like keep going with that but like maybe in a different direction yeah definitely so ryland tv has another question it's an ama question do you or any of your table mates have any tabletop rpg superstitions revolving around the game the example is given uh, laura bailey's evil dice having to go away or not letting other people touch your dice uh, we'll start with cheyenne on this one and my one friend alicia she's just insane with how good some of her dice rolls are so sometimes it's like you just like slowly sneak your dice up and gently poke her with it 
and hope that she'll, you know, hope that she'll bless it or whatnot. And, or yeah, locking up dice or like setting them away. I recently bought a tiny little cage to start putting dice in or going back to say um, critical role, not mentioning a certain guest's name anymore. Uh, WW, because it seems to have started cursing us now. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I am the curse. Um, it doesn't matter if it's physical dice or digital. I have trouble rolling higher than a 10. Um, so I try my best not to touch other people's dice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing I have done seems to affect my rolls. So I've just kind of accepted my fate. Other than that, I don't think there's really any superstitions i think i just have habits for like prepping now so i don't forget things <laughs> so not only do i have a superstition or two but i'm going to actually even tie these back into uh, ice breaking introducing people to the hobby which is there's a word that we throw around all the time that i, I don't know a lot of people know the origin of uh which is meme uh, <laughs> and where meme comes from is the we use it today to mean you know silly little image macros but it comes from a field of study called memetics. And memetics is the idea that uh, certain ideas have a, a social uh, preservation to them. It's almost like applying Darwinism or, or natural selection to ideas and how ideas propagate. But one of the most enduring traits of humanity, for better or worse, is we are horrifically tribal in nature. And superstitions are a great way to get people into the tribe. If somebody rolls a die and it blows up on them and you can tell them your die failed because you did not participate in the superstition I did. <laughs> and it is, but my, my big superstition, I've got two or three, but my biggest one is dice training. It's totally, totally scientific that your dice have like numbers within them, like uh, not actual numbers, but like these, uh, platonic ideals of numbers that are slowly settling to the bottom to make the bottom side heavy. So like on a D6, you put your six up. So that way all the, the numbers settle on the one and make that side heavier so it's more likely to go down. They do the same thing on a D20, whatever. You put the one down, the 20 up, and that is how you keep your dice. And they learn that. They, 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 they deform themselves just a little bit because of the way gravity and science work. Right, this is proven. No one's debating this, except Chad. And then he wonders why he always rolls so mediocre. And he has to cover up for his mediocre rolling with quick-witted RP. Uh, is because his dice aren't trained. He has not settled them correctly. He's not broken them in. Well, clearly, I have some work to do. <laughs> yes, I mean, do it right now. Why? I mean, if you got your dice near I you, do, start I them right now. Do yeah. not wait. I can't do anything about the digital dice, though. Unfortunately. Sure you can. Stop using them. Stop, yeah. <laughs> I like that idea, though. The, having the group tradition or superstitions traditions, I guess, both work. We have one of the things that we did for years, and I'm going to bring back if our next actual play is Battletech, is it is very bad luck to play a game of Battletech or it's a role-playing game, MechWarrior, without first having the group say the Battletech prayer. Uh, you will have, in fact, we found partway through we're having a terrible game. Then suddenly somebody points out we've not said the Battletech prayer. We stop, we say it, and then the game is so much better. Interesting. <laughs> you have to do it. I mean, you, you don't have a choice. You got to have the right snacks there. Certain snacks have uh, karma to them. Exactly. Bugles. You have to give the DM a bag of bugles. Well, that's bribery, that so, which them. is good, which is good. <laughs> that's bribery. Exactly. But 
Um, we have always found that our gaming tables uh, tend to prefer okie dokie popcorn. <laughs> that without okie dokie popcorn, things might not go as well. Interesting. I feel like this probably would be more prominent in an in-person game. Yeah, I don't know what you would do. On a, so in your online game, do you guys use cameras? Uh, we do because we stream ca- it. Um, okay. But my previous online group did not. So your current one does at least use cameras. So you could do yeah. something. Make yeah. everyone have like a stuffed animal next to them or something. Maybe. Or... I do already have that. <laughs> well, it's not an animal. It's a companion cube. But, you know, close enough. Actually, I have one you can sort of see over my upper left shoulder. That's the eye of a uh, three or four foot tall stuffed dragon. Oh, a top hat. That's a big one. <laughs> yeah, he's huge. He's all the way across the room from me, yet he can still see the top of him sitting on the floor. That's Furagon. Ryland TV um, is another question for the group uh, is, um, do you play other games other than D&D, uh, RPG, or otherwise? I don't currently I started a campaign with the, I don't even remember what it was called. It was the Star Wars one that I think was based off of like 3.5 or Pathfinder. Um, uh, that was either D20 or you might have been in Saga. Might have been Saga. I don't remember. It was heavily modified anyways. So, um, But that one didn't last very long. It was interesting because like I knew Star Wars and so I was at least comfortable with the content if not all the different rules um but no I actually (laughs) I've played games for a very long time but I don't play many uh (laughs) if that makes any sense I am an extreme procrastinator and so I try to limit my number of distractions <laughs> um, because if I had my way, I would just be playing games all the time and never be productive in my life. <laughs> so I have to limit myself. Um, what is it for Chicks with Chris? We've just started our second season. We're now playing Dragon Age RPG which is definitely different from Dungeons and Dragons. And also we've played some Heroes Unlimited, a little bit heavily modified, but in the future we definitely want to do a whole story in that. It's completely different, like it's based more on like statistics and stuff and rolling on in between like a certain percentage rather than just on a D20. Those are the ones that we've pretty much tried it. I definitely want to look into some other different games and such. D is actually the minority of what I play. I don't have any problem with D&D or Pathfinder or any of its spinoff games like Dungeon Crawl Classics or whatever. You know, I, I don't have a problem with any of those games, but I think I'm starting to dislike what they represent because we have reached a point where role-playing is breaking into the mainstream for the first time like ever. And everyone that is breaking it into the mainstream is playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And I'm still having going through the same thing I did back in the 80s of when I say to somebody, oh, I play role-playing games, they say, oh, you mean Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like, okay, I don't care if you call a facial tissue a Kleenex because there's really no meaningful distinction between one facial tissue and the next. But there is an enormous, this would be like saying, oh, I'm reading a book. Oh, you mean The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, that's a book, yes, but no, I, that's like, you know, there's all these different books, you know, fiction, nonfiction, fantasy, uh, science fiction, historical fiction, uh, biographies, uh, textbooks, and there's all this stuff. And I think I'm starting to kind of resent D&D because of the fact that 
you know, like once again, everyone that's pushing this into the mainstream is doing it with Dungeons and Dragons. And that's, I think, is making the hobby look monodimensional. If you like or don't like D&D, you therefore like or don't like role-playing. While I do play D&D and I don't have any issue with it, most of what we play in my group, we do a lot of homebrews. We're a big homebrewing group. Uh, We do a lot of kind of, I guess I'll call them indie games, stuff like Blades in the Dark. Um, We play some really old games like the old fast Star Trek game, Battletech, which is still being updated, but it's been around for a really long time. Uh, I've played almost every edition of Star Wars. I've played the old Weston D6, the D20, up through the fantasy flight where you're rolling dice with hieroglyphics on them and it's like trying to interpret the mummy's curse to see what happened to your blaster <laughs> shot but yeah no i play all kinds of shadow run uh, i just got through a uh, six city world of darkness game recently i mean if you if there's anything you're interested or willing to play make believe around there's a role-playing game for it and there's a system that you will probably like for it. Um, and so that's something that I hope, you know, as we as ambassadors of the hobby, I'm not saying, once again, I'm not saying we should need to crap on D&D, but I hope that we're at least expose people to other games or if they don't like D&D, say, okay, well, don't play D&D. You know, here's a Savage Worlds book or here's any number of other things to look at. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of options, like especially as someone who is relatively new to uh, tabletop RPGs, it's sometimes a little overwhelming uh, how many choices there are, um, especially being new to it and like right at the time where the game industry is just getting saturated. Um, yeah. Not just tabletop RPG, but like board games and, and everything. The choices are insane right now. There's so many and like there's a new one every week almost, it feels like. And probably for me, a combination of like, I don't have time to try new games. I don't have money to invest in them if they require that. Not all of them do. But also like, I just, I guess I don't have a lot of connections that that I've sought out anyways, I'm sure the connections are there, but I haven't sought out the connections to introduce me to these other ones. Like I don't, I'm not the kind of person that would really just go out to the store and pick up a new game and try it out. Um, I would probably try it through someone or through a group, and I haven't done that. <laughs> so let, let me ask you a question, a total, total theoretical question here. Let's say that I had three wishes, and for my wishes, it's like you're going to have the money you need, you're going to have the time you need, and you're going to have the right group for it, but you can only pick one game. What's the game? other than D&D Pathfinder or some variant thereof that you would go for? That this is a game you would do if you weren't doing D&D? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know enough about the other ones. Like, I really am most familiar with D&D and Pathfinder um, because that's what I've been interacting with in terms of actually playing myself and uh, podcasts and, and media that I interact with. What about with like a well? setting though or something? Is there like a video game, an anime, I don't know, whatever that you would, a book or something that you'd be like, I'd really love to do this intellectual properties role-playing game. Oh yeah. Put that way. Certainly there's some that I could pick. Definitely. Do you want me to pick one right now? Yeah. yeah. Give me oh, just okay. one. I, I, let's um, have a genie right here. What, what is your one pick? I am a super fan of the Rooster Teeth production of Ruby. I love it. <laughs> Big weapons, um, really, really cool battle scenes, uh, monsters that turn into dust when you kill them. It's 
pretty neat. <laughs> so it sounds like the uh, game you want is Exalted. Okay, I will there look into go. that. <laughs> <laughs> if you need a second game, there you go. Say, say you, you that that's your go-to now. Is tell people you want to try Exalted. Okay, I will. Because it's that. not about the depth of the character; it's about the size of the dieclave. Talk to anyone who plays that's Exalted; okay. they will know what that means. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I will make a note of that. What about you, Shine? If it wasn't Dragon Age, well, you say Dragon Age Origins, which obviously isn't D and D. Yeah, no, I want to play more of the Heroes Unlimited universe. We only did one in that, but one of my friends, just the way she's talking about, like, wanting to sports, like you can make your own superhero. And she's like, you guys will also make your own villain as well. I'll make you guys do it both. I really want to do like that. I just, I want to be a superhero (laughs) and stuff like that. That would be like really interesting because it's just a whole range of powers and systemics. I've always kind of loved like superheroes and stuff. So that's definitely something that I'd want to do, be a superhero. (laughs) Final question of the night uh, from chat is changing a system's rules. Is that, do you consider that a criminal act or is that something that you regularly do? So whatever game you're playing, you know, just changing the rules to suit the table. Gracious, we just did. So our most recent episode was 5.30. The two before that, 5.28 and 5.29, uh, was a two-parter on this exact subject. Um, how do I distill this into about two minutes of advice <laughs> as opposed to two hours? Uh, my answer is, yeah, absolutely. House rule. Uh, I mean, there, there does come a point where you've hijacked the system so far it's broken. But oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, absolutely. It's your game. You play it how you want. You run it how you want. As long as the table as a whole is cool with it. Yeah, house rule the crap out of it. Gary Gygax is not going to come back from the grave to break your kneecaps. <laughs> and if he does, call me because I would love to get in on that fighting someone dead. You know, I mean, it'd be a hell of a story. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Definitely like bend the rules, like depending on like what it needs to be. I had a game where they were on a pirate ship and they encountered some sirens. And I like, immediately one of the characters like, I'm asexual, so I can't be charmed by sirens. I'm like, roll constitutions. Like, um, okay, it's kind of low. You need to use the bathroom. And they begin singing about how there's a glorious <laughs> washroom over here. And then you like, they nearly threw themselves overboard. It's like, that's what I clearly need. Or like being able <laughs> the to siren talk to begins animals. slowly pouring water out of her hands into a <laughs> exactly. trickle into the ocean. <laughs> exactly. Or being able to talk to animals in D and D you ought to have a spell for that. But like our world is based on a fairy tales and straight up animals will just start talking to people, right? So it's like in this, yeah. Way, yeah, it's like druids, they can just like talk to animals or like just random animals can just talk to you. You won't need a spell for that. But in a different game, no, you will need it, right? So it's like the rules got to bend depending on the situation. I definitely think. <laughs> oh, yes, I I agree. Um, I have not done a whole lot of rules bending, not intentionally anyways, but <laughs> I mean... One of the things that I had to learn when I started DMing was that I'm not going to remember all the rules and, you know, something's going to come up in the moment that I'm not going to remember and I don't want to slow things down by flipping through multiple books trying to find it. And so I'm just, I said to my group, like, there's going to be times I might get it wrong, but in the moment I'm going to decide something and if everyone's okay with it, or at least the majority of people are okay with it, then we're going to do that and then we can rectify it later. Or maybe that'll just become our rule from now on if it makes sense. And yeah. Well, not every situation even has a rule. I mean, that's true. I, I think what Cheyenne just described is some great thinking on your feet of, you know, the siren's <laughs> going to make a save to, to for something, you know, seductive. Well, my character's asexual. Okay. Well, 
then they're going to use the exact same magic to try and tempt you through some other mechanism. And I mean, the rules don't really go there. And so, but that's some great thinking on your feet where you've got to invent some stuff to handle the situation because quite frankly, my character is asexual. So I'm immune to the seduction of sirens. That's not the rules either. So the immunity was just as made up as the solution was, but I love it. I mean, that's that yes, but G. I mean, I was talking about earlier. It's like, okay, yeah, you're immune to the seduction, but you're not immune to having to pee. <laughs> exactly. And what better place to pee and have it go unnoticed than a body of water, be it an ocean, a lake, a river, or a small swimming pool. <laughs> Another... Or anything owned by R. Kelly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another great one was you need to like, your friend has been possessed by a ghost. You need to exercise. It. What do you do? I suplex them so hard that they spit the ghost out. <laughs> it was just so absurd. I was like, you know what? Yes, you you do it so hard. The ghost just like comes right, like just pops right out of your friend. Just you have to reward it, the creativity. Huh. Exactly. You got to award the absurdity sometimes. <laughs> That's great. How do you guys feel about that? Because one of the things I've always done as a GM is I will let you roll on anything. I mean, it sounds like, Cheyenne, you're on the same page. I mean, if you're letting them suplex to exercise a suplexorcism, then... <laughs> Oh, if it's yeah. doable, yeah. Oh, for sure. There was opening a door, and and one time, and it's like, okay, so you go to kick a door, and like, and like, it wasn't really good, so the door was already slightly open. So when you kick it, instead, you just like roll, fall right through it, <sighs> or stuff like that, or you completely just destroy the door with your kick, with how epic it was, or whatnot. Just yeah, just simple little things like that can make for great moments. <laughs> well, whether they pass or fail, too, because the failure. Um, presents as much storytelling capability as uh, passing those um, roles does. That's always fun to try and yeah. figure out just how did you fail? <laughs> well, I, I think there there is an element. I mean, maybe this isn't quite on the topic of icebreaking, but I think it's close, is what do you do if you've got someone at the table that you're trying to get comfortable? You know, you're trying to break the ice, you're trying to get them involved in the moment. And their first experience, you know, first die they roll or something has a disappointing outcome. You know, it's not it's not that anyone's done anything wrong. It's just this the G and role playing game. The game part bit them in the butt. And uh, I think there's there's inspectors has done a lot with this. Uh, I know games like Blades in the Dark have done some stuff with this where failure can be just as entertaining, just as descriptive just as creatively involved as successes um, where you can say, okay, you failed, but maybe you still got something positive out of this, or maybe you didn't, but the way in which you failed, it's not off-putting, you know, it's, it's not getting hit in the head with a two by four for real. It's a three stooges hit in the head with a two by four. It's funny. You know, it's, there, there's something about it that's, you know, yeah, you didn't get what you wanted, but you still got something that wasn't necessarily totally bad and you know, just didn't shut you down from the experience. Yep. As someone who fails frequently, that's very important. <laughs> <laughs> I had a situation where a giant spider couldn't hit a player and they couldn't hit the giant spider back. So I'm like, you guys are standing in the middle of the room, just chest bumping each other and just like talking shit to each other. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> it's like, yeah, got to uh, yeah. make those entertaining. <laughs> My very first introduction to D and D was from um, somebody we met online and I had based my character off of Batman 
and I was rolling really well for like stealth and investigating and all the detective work. But then I got found out and combat came around and both of us were rolling ones and twos and we couldn't hit each other. And the DM made it really funny. And it was just like, you know, you try to hit him and you hit the wall and now you hurt your hand. And then finally the guy I was fighting with <laughs> missed so bad that he knocked himself out. And it was like, it was one of the most memorable fights I've ever had. And we never landed a single hit. <laughs> Critical fails, yay or nay? Absolutely, yes. I, my group has actually, uh, they agreed... <laughs> <laughs> to uh, implement critical success and critical failure charts for additional effects. Um, and we haven't had to use it too often because I um, also implemented, like, you have to confirm it to um, make the extra effect actually happen. Otherwise, it's just a regular miss or a regular hit or whatever. But um, it's made for some colorful <laughs> interactions. Yeah, for a while there, a friend introduced the die of doom. If you got like a 20 or a one, you would break out an, a giant d20 and roll that. And that would determine how bad or good like the fail or the miss like would be. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, yeah I am 100% in favor of critical failures. The only thing I, I both do as a GM and demand as a player is it's both ways. Yes. That the enemy's critical fail, if, if they roll a one, they critical fail as well. I don't care what it is. Yep. You know, if it rolls a one, it's screwed up. Definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's how we run ours. Yeah. How about everybody let us know where they can find you on the internet. Uh, we'll start with uh, Callie. You can find me on Twitter at AppleXSauce uh, or my D&D group on Twitch at twitch.tv slash riffandrabble. Cheyenne? Um, you can find me on Twitter at cars underscore Jan. And you can find Chicks with Crits on Twitter, also on iTunes, and pretty much any other podcatcher that you have. That's Chicks with Crits. <laughs> Just want to <laughs> make sure that's enunciated. <laughs> so for us, you can find us at Fear the Boot. Just like Be Afraid of Footwear, feartheboot.com. Uh, if you want to find the actual plays we're doing, they're just at no W's, just AP for actual play, ap.feartheboot.com. And that will get you to the two actual plays, one of which is a game that I'm actually playing uh, with Eric. Uh, and the other one is a Deadlands uh, Weird West game that's being run by one of our other hosts, Chris. All right. And... Thank you to the three of you, Dan, Cheyenne, and Callie, for joining us and hosting this week. And thank you to Ryland TV and uh, Xylofam for your questions. Sorry, Gage, no Savage Worlds talk for you. And everybody knows that Dean Winchester is Bay. Next week, <laughs> uh, the hosts will be Pedro, Chad, and Nick. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>